Happy New Year, my fellow property managers. Well, the bad news for you is I believe as we step into 2024 and beyond, the legislative war against property managers and real estate investors in general is going to continue. I want to share with you some random laws that have been passed in different states, in different municipalities, because these laws are coming to a city near you very, very soon. There is just a trend to bring more tenant protection rights, which sometimes are needed. But that trend also has the unintended consequences of making it very difficult to be a real estate investor and be very difficult to be a property manager. So I want to share with you some laws that have been passed in different states and then take some time and really talk in detail about this new landlord collusion claim, if you haven't heard about this, as it comes to setting rental rates. When I say the word collusion, you should just kind of shudder because it's a, it's a scary thing. So I'll share that, some thoughts about that. And most importantly, though, I'm going to say and give my recommendation on what you as a property manager should do. Do you fight this? Do you just roll over? What should you do? How can you ensure that the success of your business, the protection of your tenants and your owners continues even in the face of some of these difficulties? So we will get to that. I'm going to take two questions. Wendy says, Mark, how do I close the deal on a new owner client? And we're also going to ask a question on whether or not we as property managers should be paying the mortgages of our property owners. Here we go. Hey, my friends, Mark Cunningham. Welcome to another episode of the Property Management Business Podcast, where everything we do here is devoted to helping you build, grow, and protect your property management companies. So let me go through some random pieces of legislation, some rules that are impacting different regions. And if you're saying, well, I don't need to listen to this. I'm on the, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Florida. I'm in one of these places where maybe it's a little bit more lax and we can we don't have quite so many rules and regulations to follow, I would listen in anyway because these rules that pop up in some places tend to move from the West Coast and the Northeast throughout the U.S. I'm here in Colorado. We have certainly faced this a lot. So just because you may live in a place right now where you don't view it as overly burdensome, in the property management industry doesn't mean it's not coming. The pendulum has been swinging vastly, vastly quickly. Can we say that? Vastly far and quickly the last few years away from a concept of landlord rights, private property rights into the idea that, gosh, we have to protect our tenants and what laws and legislations should we put in place. Now, I'm not coming at this from some anti-tenant, ooh, let's go get the tenants. Let me just say on the front end, we've been in business since 1978. We have always, always, always operated in such a way that we believe that when property management is performed with integrity and honesty, you as a property manager really represent the landlord and the tenant. Now, I know some of you property managers may raise your eyebrow there and say, no, 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 I have a fiduciary responsibility to my owner investor. And legally, I understand that. But from a practical standpoint, we do work with tenants. We do respect our tenants and we want to make sure our tenants are protected. There are many unscrupulous landlords out there. Let's be honest about that. There certainly are. It's because a lot of 
because of a lot of those folks that some of these legislative rules have come into place. They'll find some horror story for some crazy landlord who abused a tenant and kicked him out and charged him ridiculous fees. And then because of that, all the rest of us have to pay the price by these crazy laws that are sometimes being passed. So I don't believe tenants are the enemy. I don't believe you should have a mentality of a landlord versus tenant. When prospective owner clients come to us with that mentality, we don't like to work with them because we believe that tenants are good people by and large. Now, yes, there are some bad apple tenants, just like there are some bad apple landlords, and we want to avoid both of those. But when property management is done properly, the landlord wins, the tenant wins, everybody truly wins. So that's the perspective we bring to our business. And it helps us work through those days when we may feel like tenants or owners are being a little bit more combative than we should be. So let me um, come into a few rules and regulations to see if you're aware of this. Did you know, number one, here we go. I'm in Colorado. Colorado legislature just passed a number of bills in this legislative sessions directed at protecting tenants. One of those bills, and you can look for this coming to a city near you soon, says that if a tenant is on subsidized housing in any form or fashion, public or private, so if their housing is subsidized, we as the landlord may not even look or pull their credit report. So if a tenant applies to rent a property and they're on government subsidized housing, it is illegal for me as the landlord to pull their credit report. Now, at first thought, that sounds a little bit strange because you think, well, gosh, the, the credit report is the most effective tool I have as a property management to determine the likelihood that this is going to be a quality tenant that I place in my property. Well, no, the landlords or the, the legislatures would say, no, that, that silly credit report just gets in the way. We really shouldn't be letting that keep these good tenants from their housing. So therefore, let's just not look at this. Now, this is not just in Colorado. Uh, this is in uh, a number of places. This was a headline recently. This is out of New York. Uh, here's what the headline said here. Uh, Mayor Adams and the H. PD, I'm guessing that's some housing authority, uh, HPD commissioner, take action to connect New Yorkers to affordable housing more quickly by eliminating unnecessary credit checks for voucher holders. So if you're a voucher holder in New York, you don't need to worry about that unnecessary credit check. Now in Colorado, it's not just voucher holders, it's any subsidized housing program. So if Catholic Charities gives them $100 a month or even a one-time payment of $100, I cannot look at their credit score whatsoever. Now you say, well, Mark, come on, man. There's an easy way around that. Just don't rent to subsidized tenants. Don't take subsidized housing. And that would be illegal for me to not accept subsidized housing because the legislature is not stupid. They know that we may just say, oh, well, I just won't rent to subsidized tenants. So there's another law, and this law is in many places. And what it does is it defines subsidized, it, it gives subsidized income protected status. So it says another protected status group is source of income. Your source of income is a protected status. If you get your income through subsidized housing, that is protected and I cannot discriminate. In other words, we have to accept Section 8 housing or whatever voucher program it is under in our state, and this is in many other states as well. 
We have another law that recently passed in Colorado, and this is in a number of places as well, doesn't just limit what we can charge for application fees. It specifically says that in an effort to go away and do away with application fees, if a tenant brings us their own credit report when they apply to rent a property, as long as it meets certain qualifications, we must accept the tenant-provided background report. We can't pull our own. Well, maybe we can pull our own, but we can't charge them for it. But we have to accept their tenant-provided background report. It's a way to reduce the fees that tenants have to pay for subsidized housing. You say, well, Mark, you're, you're just in Colorado. That just happens in crazy Colorado. Let me share with you a few other places outside of our wonderful state here. Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorites. Uh, this is in Pasadena, California. So this is not state-specific. This is uh, city-specific here. Uh, they call it their Pasadena's relocation fees for renters displaced by no-fault evictions. What this means is, if you as a landlord are non-renewing your tenant for no fault of their own, which they would call a no-fault eviction. So you're just saying, you know what? I mean, you're not doing anything wrong, Mr. Tenant, uh, but I'm not going to renew your lease. Right? Your lease is up for renewal. Maybe they've just they continually are a pain in the neck. Maybe they continually put in maintenance requests and they're unreasonable. Maybe you just say, I think I just want my property back. I want to do something different with it. They now have Pasadena now has a very uh, detailed document that shows how much money you as the landlord must pay your tenants if you're going to non-renew their lease through no fault of the tenants. This starts at the low fee. If it's a, it's a it, <laughs> the spreadsheet has everywhere from zero to three years, three to 10 years, 10 years plus, plus an additional payment for special circumstances. Special circumstances, of course, being tenants who are over the age of 60, terminally ill, disabled, or a child. So we have four different categories there. And then we have five different categories of the property type. Is it a studio? Is it a one-bedroom, a two-bedroom, a three-bedroom, a four-bedroom? So let me just look at one here randomly. If you have a one-bedroom property and you have a tenant who's been living there for, let's say, five years, and you just decide, no, I just, I'm going to move them out. Okay, no problem. You can do that. The lease is up. You non-renew them. But, oh, by the way, you're going to have to pay them a relocation fee as I said, they've been there five years in a one-bedroom. The relocation fee you as the landlord need to pay them would be $9,204. How did that dollar amount come up with? I have no idea. They don't show you that. I'm sure there's some detailed information that uh, is used to come up with that. You say, oh, but Mark, actually, I have a, a four-bedroom house. Mark, Ooh, a four-bedroom house? Yes, how long has your tenant been living there? Oh, they've been living there 11 years. Oh, I'm sorry. You hit the jackpot. If you have a four-bedroom house and the people have been living there for more than 10 years, you must pay them upon move out $20,665. Now, if there's a child living in that house, which there probably is because it's a four-bedroom, in addition to the $20,665, you must also pay an additional payment for their special circumstances. The additional payment would be $12,399. Now, if they also have a special circumstances household, you must unfortunately also, in addition to that, pay them some moving expenses. 
Moving expenses under a special circumstance, meaning a child, would be $4,634. This would be in addition to the base payment. So conceivably, a landlord who has a four-bedroom home, the people have been living there for more than 10 years, there's either a senior over age 60 or a disabled person or a child. See if I can do my math here. That would be 2032 plus additional moving expenses. That would be about, if my math is right here, $37,000. My friends, how many months of income does it take to net $37,000 on your four-bedroom rental? Many, many months. Maybe that's a year of income. Maybe it's more than a year of income. Why would somebody in their right mind buy a single-family rental property in Pasadena? Now, what will happen is landlords will slowly move out of that market, as we're seeing in other markets as well. But that is, Pasadena's not the only place to have that, but that's that's there. Uh, we've also seen the uh, Biden administration put forward a tenant's bill of rights, uh, which would be a national bill of rights. Now, if you've read that, there's nothing overly crazy in there from what I've read. It's just trying to outline some basic rules that landlords must follow and, and tenant have those rights. So, But that, that's out there. Uh, there are many states as well now that have winter eviction laws. Have you heard about this? Uh, Washington, several cities within Washington has this. And what it says is during the winter months, it, it's cold. And the worst thing you can do is evict somebody into the cold. So during winter months or when school is in session, if there's a child in the home, you can't evict that family. It doesn't matter. We will have a moratorium on evictions for that period of time. And then they will also throw certain classifications of people in there. So it'll be, for example, if you're a teacher, well, you can't be evicted during the school year because you got to teach the kids. There's just another example. This was uh, a recent thing. If you have not been following this in New York, uh, they have, of course, pretty much outlawed all short-term rental properties, which on the face of it seems a little bit crazy, doesn't it? If you want to do a short-term rental on your property, why shouldn't you be able to do that? Well, you can't do it in New York. And at the same time, Mayor Adams has come out and said that they do have a big homeless problem in New York. So they have a uh, committee which is considering how they can match up homeless people with individual landlords to place the homeless in single-family rental properties. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, I've got a property I can't get rented. Here's a homeless person who doesn't have a place to live. Ugh, it's a match made in heaven. I'm sure nothing could go wrong there. But that is being talked about uh, in committee in New York per the Wall Street Journal. So those are just some examples. Now, if you've only been in this business for a short period of time, maybe this is just kind of normal to you. You say, well, yeah, that's kind of the way it always is, isn't it? And it really isn't. The, the concern is as landlord rights get reduced, the landlord's ability to make income gets reduced and money goes where it is treated the best. Investors who invest in single family rental properties have other options as well. So I'm an investor. I own some rental property, and I have many, many options with that money. I could take that money. Let's pretend I have $100,000. Well, I could go buy a rental property, 
could do that. I could, uh, and I'm going to look to see what return I get on my money. Like I said, money goes and money flows where it is treated best. Well, how is money treated when you invest in single family or any type of rental property that's residential? The return you get, if you look at cap rates and things like that, and I don't want to put you to sleep with cap rates, but the cap rates you're going to get market to market is going to be pretty low right now. You're going to get maybe four, five, six, maybe seven in some markets. You go to California, you'll probably get 2% cap rate. Cap rate is simply the rate of return on your money. So I could do that. I could also take that $100,000 and I could buy a T-bill from the government, which is a government loan in essence, safest investment there is because it's backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. And my return on that's going to be what? Well, for a 30-day T-bill purchase, I can get five, about 5.5% five right now. That's more than I can get on most real estate investing. So if I've got options for my money, just look at those two options. Pretend you've got a million dollars in cash and you're trying to figure out what you should do. Should you go buy a single family home, a multifamily property, a bunch of single families? And the rate of return you're going to get if everything works. That means if the tenant pays rent. And if there's no unexpected capital improvements, your cap rate or your rate of return will probably be, let's call it, let's be generous. Let's say 7%, which is higher than most markets. But let's just say 7%. I have to do all the risk that comes along with that. I have to have all of the work that comes along with that. I've got to manage the property, but I'm going to get a 7% return on my million dollar investment. While at the same time, I could take that million dollars and go buy T-bills risk-free, how much effort does it take to manage your T-bill investment? Well, let me tell you, it's none. You press the buy button and then you go back to sleep. A lot less work in buying T-bills than there is in managing rental properties. And yet in a T-bill right now, you can get five and a half percent. Hmm. Do I want to take on the headache and hassle and risk associated with single family management for an extra two and a half percentage points? And a lot of investors are saying no. That's why we're seeing some people come out of the rental market. They no longer want to play the game of rental investment properties. So there's just some examples. One more to share with you. This was, uh, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal here. By the way, if you don't get the Wall Street Journal, my friends, do yourself a favor. Subscribe and spend a few minutes reading it every day. It will give you such a good overview of what is going on economically in the world. So this is uh, Wednesday, October 25th. Now, I know this is coming out. This podcast is, is being released here in January. This is coming out uh, at that time. So this is a little bit old, but this was on the front page. It said, landlord's use of data fuels collusion claims. Have you heard about this story? I'm going to read this article to you because I think it's worth the read. It's a little bit long, but it's fascinating to see how landlords are now being charged with collusion in setting rental rates. Here's what it says. If you want to know why apartment rents got so high, some people have said look to big data. Many landlords sourced many landlords outsourced their pricing decisions to software that told them what rents to charge. These algorithmic pricing systems analyze giant troves of information about the rental market. Then they direct landlords on how much to increase rent for each lease renewal or what to ask for newly vacated apartments. Algorithms and other big data have changed the way many landlords do business. In the past, landlords would often make deep cuts to rents when the market started to head south, 
but algorithms show them this wasn't always necessary. Many building owners also once believed keeping their apartment buildings as full as possible was the best way to maximize profit. Algorithmic pricing systems, by contrast, calculated that some landlords could earn more money by pushing up rents, even if that brought about higher vacancy rates. At least dozens of landlords across the U.S. rely on pricing systems from two companies, RealPage and Yardi Systems, to determine what they charge millions of renters. Now these two firms face allegations that their rent pricing system facilitates collusion among some of the country's biggest apartment owners. Two lawsuits, one against RealPage and one against Yardi, allege that the pricing systems enable an exchange of... This is why I like the newspaper because you have to actually pause on a cliffhanger and turn to the next page in the newspaper. Confidential pricing information to set rents across buildings and markets. That reduces much of the natural competition that might exist if landlords didn't outsource their pricing decisions to software, the complaint, the complaint alleges. The lawsuit brought by tenants in federal court in Tennessee and Washington alleged that the two companies and their landlord customers are engaging in illegal behavior that is translated into higher rents for tenants. The U.S. Justice Department might soon weigh in on whether algorithms unlawfully drive up rents. The department's antitrust division has been investigating RealPage's practices and is considering a potential enforcement action according to people familiar with the matter. Earlier this month, the department filed a notice in the case against RealPage saying it would consider posting a statement of interest by next month that would attempt to guide the court's decision in the case. The scrutiny is part of a broader effort by antitrust enforcers to examine whether the use of algorithms in price-setting facilities facilitates collusion or otherwise keeps prices artificially high. RealPage has previously denied the allegations. It declined further comment. Yardi denied the allegations against the company. In a letter to members of Congress who called on the Justice Department to investigate RealPage, the company said last year that the purpose of its system wasn't to boost rents or to drive up vacancies. It was to analyze supply and demand so landlords can more efficiently manage buildings. In some cases, that can mean lowering rents to preserve occupancy, RealPage says. The firm pointed to the general decline in apartment vacancy rates in recent years as evidence that its software didn't contribute to an increase in empty apartments. It also played down the role that non-public pricing data plays in algorithms. Yardi, meanwhile, says it has never used non-public data to adjust rents. Both firms said they don't allow their clients to directly see each other's pricing data. Apartment owners are hardly alone in doing this. Student housing does it as well. More companies from grocery stores to ride-sharing entities rely on automated pricing to make sales. I'm getting there, my friends. Hang with me. Regulators and the Biden administration have expressed concern about the pricing effects of big data. In September, the Justice Department filed a complaint against AgriStats, an analytics company focused on the pork poultry industry, alleging that it was helping processors raise prices and reduce market competition. I'm going to skip a little bit here. Um, prices have come down. The companies that offer pricing, they believe uh, it helps them push rents. Algorithms took a while to catch on with landlords. A few years ago, a large apartment complex started raising rents through RealPage's pricing system. Occupancy levels in the building actually fell from 98 to 95. Nevertheless, they made more money. Now, many landlords view these as essential, it says. Uh, the parties suing RealPage and Yardi will likely need to prove the company's control and outsized share of the rental market, said Peter Karstensen, a former antitrust attorney of the Justice Department. Whew. So, what that means is 
there is software and the software collates big data, puts all the data in supply and demand, and then it spits out a recommended price. It doesn't require the landlord to take that price, but it spits out a recommended price. And if landlords are using that, that would be collusion is what these tenant right groups are facing. So big data and analytics and basically really good equations may now be illegal. If you write a really good math equation and you put in all sorts of data and it spits out a number that tenant right groups don't like, that may be illegal. It is unknown whether or not if you do the same computation on your Excel spreadsheets, if that would be collusion as well. So beware, landlords, beware. It may be okay to call some other landlords and ask them what prices they're charging, or is that collusion? Well, what if you just look at the price online? Maybe that's collusion. Maybe you have to just keep blind to what the market is doing and throw a dart at the dartboard to determine what rental rate you should charge on your property. Because if you're actually paying attention to what's going on in the market, that could be considered collusion. I think this is crazy talk, but this, my friend, is the world we live in now. So what do we do with all this stuff? You say, Mark, this is the most depressing 45 minutes I've ever spent with you. I think I will just close up and go out of business. No, 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 don't do that. There are things we can do. Now, keep in mind, <clears throat> we get hired by landlords to represent them and their properties. If we're looking for some silver lining here, landlords are going to need us more than ever because it is it really is hard to track all of the laws that are requiring us to follow specific guidelines. And if as hard as it is for us to do this, imagine how hard it is for a small individual landlord. They need you. They need your services. They need your level of expertise. But you have to stay up on what is going on in your market. Do you follow these things in your local market? So number one, that is your job. You want to be an expert? You need to pay attention to what is happening in your state, in your city with these things. That's number one. Number two, you need to make sure you are informing your owner clients of these things that are happening. If they don't know all these things that are happening, then they don't know. And they assume that being a landlord is easy. And all you do is sit back and collect rents and kick your feet up on the desk and smoke big cigars all day while you're counting your money. That's all landlords do, right? You've got to let them know what's going on in your market. That also sets you up as the expert. At a minimum, send out a monthly update to your owner clients. Tell them what's going on. Give them some data. I just recently mentioned uh, to our landlord group that we sent out our year-end owner letter. The end of November, we send out a year-end owner letter to all of our owner investors telling them what happened this past year and giving them a preview of what we expect to happen in the market in 2024. And part of that is legislatively, talking about the new rules that have passed, the new things that have changed legally and operationally, what they have to be aware of. And it's it just, we always get really good feedback from our owner clients on that. So that's number two, is you've got to get that out there to those folks. Now, the other piece of that is because it is taking longer to evict tenancies, and I'm talking about legit evictions, right? Tenant moves in, like we had a few months ago, they pay their first month's rent, and then they never pay a nickel as well. And they are what we call professional tenants. They know how to file answers in court. They know how to drag things along and drag things along. They have no intention of paying. They have no intention of moving. 
until the sheriff shows up and makes them move. And they can drag that out sometimes for months and months and months. When that happens, you need to make sure as a landlord, as a property manager, that is the most work you're ever going to do for a property. And you need to make sure that you're being compensated for that work by your owner client. Now, it's a lose-lose. Nobody wins in that situation except for the tenant who's going to live rent-free for a few months. But maybe that means you need to change your management fee structure to ensure in those cases you're being compensated for all the extra effort and work you're putting out there. Profit margins are getting thinner. Workloads are increasing. The industry is getting harder. So you've got to make sure that you have things in place to work through this. Now, don't let this depress you. This is a big deal because it's important. You do important, important work. And housing is becoming more of a right and less of a benefit. The idea of having a place to rent isn't just nice. It's a right now. And when something is a right, the opportunity for someone else to profit off of that right suddenly looks bad. I think that's what's happening philosophically. In our country, housing is now a right. Everybody has a right to a house. That means if you have a house, you have an obligation now to provide that house to somebody who needs it. And the rights and responsibilities very much fall to the tenant. The tenant has the right to the property. And that's just the mentality that we bring in. So we lose some of that. Let me read to you. This is fun. These are some recent online comments we've received when we go in and we post videos. You've probably watched them. If you haven't watched any of our videos, jump on our website, pmbuild.com, or go onto YouTube, and we post property management educational videos. Now, if you've watched any of those in the past, you know we are not anti-tenant whatsoever. Most landlords aren't. We, we need our tenants. We love our tenants. Evictions are awful. They're awful for tenants. They're awful for landlords. They're awful for everybody. Nobody likes that side of things. So everything that we post, and as I say, we've been in business for 45 years. We have a, a we call it our rent, uh, our grace gives program. We pay and we assist tenants when they fall on hard times. Like we are, we're tenant advocates. I'm very much a tenant advocate as well as a landlord advocate. So we do not come across I don't think at least, as anti-tenant. But let me read a couple online comments that we've had from tenant advocacy groups when they see different videos that we post about just being a landlord. Wow. This is from uh, Coldwell P. Wow. What kind of human garbage leverages tenants' home with every inch of the law in their favor just because they can? Oh, that's right. A landlord. So this person says that what landlords do is they leverage every inch of the home. Why? Because we can. Yeah, we're pretty evil people there. Oh, I like this one. The The name on the this, the person's name is called Communism is the Answer. So you can guess where this is going. Everyone should have, everyone should have their own property space for free. It's disgusting that people are forcing anyone to pay them money to basically exist especially knowing what a struggle it is for a lot of people who do not make enough money right now. Sell a country? Why not sell the air, the great sea, and the earth as well? Did not the great spirit make them all for the use of his children? Okay, I'm not even going to comment on that. Uh, here's another one. Let's see. 
uh, you have a con- it's about me because I'm talking in the video there. You have a conflict with authority. All you do and say is about authority. Tenants pay your salary. End of story. Tenants are paying customers. Any tenant being harassed by property managers like this guy should immediately contact a lawyer. I don't think I'm harassing too many people, but and then this one pretty much sums it up. I hope the landlord as a profession goes away entirely. Just think about that for a minute. I hope the landlord as a profession, which by the way, it's not called the landlord. They hope the landlording profession goes away entirely. There is certainly a segment of the industry, a segment of tenants out there and a segment of legislatures out there who believe that we're just a greedy middleman who takes money that could better be spent on housing. So what do we do? Number one, we're big boys and big girls. This is the game we've decided to play. This is the business we're in. We're in the business of helping people. We can't let this beat us up. If you want easy work, then get out of this business. This business is not for the faint of heart. You want to do an easy job? Go find an easy job. I'm not interested in doing easy, lazy work. I, for one, am interested in making a difference. This is how we make a difference, by providing tenants quality, safe, affordable properties to live in, by providing landlords a source of retirement income off the investments that they have chosen to make. Housing is a big deal. That's why it's all over the place. That's why everybody's getting so worked up about it. So you have a choice to make. Are you going to engage in that in a positive form or fashion? Are you going to get sucked out of it? Or are you going to get sucked into playing the game? I don't think you should get sucked into taking sides with that. Stay above the fray, my friends. The laws will continue to come. I don't think we're going to be able to combat those laws very effectively. This is just the new reality we're in. And that's okay. You need to just accept that. Move on in a class way where you can stay above the fray. Don't get sucked down into the mud. Don't start hating on your tenants. Don't start being one of those landlords. Do this with integrity and you will always come out as the winner. You know, I mentioned how it's important that we communicate with our owner clients and let them know what is going on. And that's really education-based content. That's what it becomes. So that's a way we market to property owners. We tell property owners what's going on in the industry. We never want to market, put that word in air quotes, right? We never want to market and say how great we are. Nobody cares how great you are. What they do care about is the law that's going on. And that then sets you up as the expert. That becomes education content that you use as marketing. Well, one great way to do that marketing is by using four and half. Four and half is a marketing agency specifically for property management companies. Now, they've been around a long time. They, I'm sure you've heard of them. They know this industry really, really well. They believe that property managers are relationship builders, which I believe 100%. And they see digital marketing as a relationship too. They aren't just there to provide property management marketing services. They really do a customized type of relationship building marketing, determining what you want, who you are as a company, and how they can communicate that in the marketing side of things. They've got a full suite of marketing, consulting, products, services aimed at, get at one thing, and that's bringing you more leads for your business. Now, they, they do truly have a full customizable. That's what I like about four and a half. They've got digital marketing plans. They can do website development. They've got reputation management, content marketing, which I love, love, love. 
business consulting, email marketing, automation, which we are also huge fans of, SEO, Google AdWords. That's what they help you do. So reach out to my friends at fourandhalf.com. By the way, ask them why their company is called Four and Half. It's a I'm not I'm not going to give away the secret, but it's kind of fun. Ask them why they're called Four and Half. Get their free analysis. They will have a conversation with you to help bring more leads into your business. It's more important than ever to making sure that you are bringing leads in. My friends, the market is hot right now. We've got a lot of accidental landlords in the market, and you must be findable by that group. Four and Half will help you do that. Jump on their website, fourandhalf.com. We'll put a link in here as well. Tell them that Mark sent you. Have them give you the demo. Have them tell you how they can customize a marketing plan specifically for you to grow your business. So we've got two questions we're going to take here. The first question comes from Wendy. Wendy says, Mark, how do I close the deal with a new owner client? So, so the lead comes in, and boy, this is a, that's a big that's a big question, Wendy. We could do a whole podcast on that. So, to take a step back, right, we need to separate our sales from our marketing. Right, so you've got to look at it through the lens of you've got two jobs, two obligations to get new business. One is to make the phone ring, and no, I'm not that old school. I don't mean they need to call in, but in other words, bring the lead in, and then the other piece is to close it. Should you decide it's a good owner? and a good fit for your business. That's kind of what I just talked about there with four and half. They can help you bring in the lead. They help make the phone ring, help the email inquiry come in. So that's the marketing side of things. But then what, what Wendy's saying is, how do I close the deal? Like, how, how do we really make it happen? My easy answer is this, Wendy. There is no substitute for repetition. What I mean is get in front of as many prospective owner clients as you can. You've got to go, you've got to rehearse, 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 rehearse. If your closing ratio, let's say for every 10 people you get in front of, you can get two of them to sign up with you. Okay. You got two ways to look at that. You can say, well, I need to get better so that I'm not just getting two of the 10 I meet with, I'm getting four. And yes, you do. We all need to get better, better, better. But another way to accomplish the same thing is to say, I just need to get in front of more people. If I know that I can get two out of every 10, well, then maybe I need to go meet with 40 people in the next couple of weeks because I'm still going to get my same percentage. We're all going to get some no's. You've got to get in front of people. And the more people you get in front of, the smoother you will be in your presentation, the more comfortable and confident you will be. So rehearse that and it's going to feel awkward. So that's why it's important to get it done. I recommend you rehearse it with people that aren't real live clients. Do it with your spouse, do it with your kids, do it with your neighbors. Tell somebody you'll buy them a cup of coffee if you can get 20 minutes of their time and just work on your, I hate to say pitch, but you know what I mean when I say pitch, right? Work on your conversation that you're going to have with a prospective owner client. Practice, practice, practice. And if, if you're a sports fan, you watch the game, you watch the baseball game, you watch the football game. How many repetitions do those people do on practice before they get into the big game? We don't hardly do any repetitions in our businesses, do we? All we do is the big game. All you do is you sit in front of the, the live person and you've never practiced. You've got to have repetition. You've got to have practices. Stand in front of the mirror. Do it that way. Record yourself. Do it that way. If you take your business seriously, Wendy, you're going to make the effort to get that done. Have conversations. It's got to feel natural. 
It's got to feel at ease. Don't come across as pushy. Keep the energy level high. It, it truly, it takes practice. It's like anything else. It's a skill. And the more you practice, the better you will get at that skill. Hope that helps a little bit there, Wendy. Andrea says, Mark, should I offer to pay my owner's property mortgages as part of my property management services? So Andrea, you're bringing a new owner client on and they say, hey, will you pay my mortgage every month for me as well? My recommendation is to say, no, you will not do that for them. Because if you do it, it's going to eventually create a problem. Some of those problems can be if, if you're doing the old fashioned mailing of checks into their mortgage company, eventually a check is gonna get lost in the mail and you just made a late mortgage payment on behalf of your owner client and now they are not happy with you. You say, well, Mark, that, that's, that's old school. I don't do it that way. I go online and I pay their mortgage payment online. Oh, okay, well then you did take care of that problem, but the problem still arises. What happens if the tenant pays their rent late and now you don't have the money from which to pay the mortgage payment? What are you gonna do? Well, Mark, I gotta reach out to the owner client. Or, well, Mark, I'm gonna get a big fat reserve of one month's rent to make sure I have enough money to pay that. Okay, and those are all workarounds, but it's going to eventually create a problem. My recommendation is that is not something you as the property manager should be doing. So for our owner clients, no, we will not pay their mortgages. We have one owner client who we have literally worked with for 38 years, and he's got a number of properties, and we just always have paid his. But other than that, we don't pay our owner clients. That's between them and their bank don't get sucked in to the mortgage payment side of things. That is my strong recommendation to you, Andrea. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Andrea. Great questions. If you've got a question, my friends, that I can answer for you, jump on our website, pmbuild.com. Happy to answer any questions you may have and help you build, grow, and protect your property management business. So before we close out, my friends, what are you doing to improve your business this year? This episode's being released in January. Hopefully you already have a plan in place to make your business better in 2024. Uh, we're excited. We have our first Visit Grace event coming up in February that has already sold out, but we do have, and we just opened up registration for our next Visit Grace event, which is in May. This event is an opportunity for 10 and only 10 property managers to come visit me and my team in Denver. We not only open our doors to you, but we teach you how to run a property management business. Do you have trouble with that? You have trouble figuring out how to market, how to lead your team, how to grow, how to be profitable, how to run your meetings, how to hire, how to manage your team, all of the parts of property management business. We find the success of a PM business is really on the business end of the business. It's not just managing properties. It's managing people, it's managing owners, it's managing the business. So for two days, we will teach you, I will teach you, and my team will teach you how we manage our business. We only keep it to 10 people because we want it to be small and intimate where we can answer specific questions and have one-on-one -on -one time with each of our folks. As I said, May is now open. If you're interested in getting more information, jump on our website, pmbuild.com, go to the events, tab there. You can also see on the events tab the other places I will be speaking in 2024. I'm starting to line up my travel and speaking schedule. I'm going to be out in California. 
uh, speaking at the Cal NARPM event out there. I will be in Montana uh, early in the year. I'm going to be in North Carolina early in the year. Love to see you if I can somewhere you're going to be. Maybe I can come visit you, but jump on our page, pmbuild.com. Check those things out. Hey, my friends, until next time, as always, I wish you success.